hopefully everyone can hear me. I know I've got quite a quiet voice, but um, if you can't, just let me know. Um, my name is Sean Lindsay. I'm from City University. I work in a department for, um, it's called the Learning Enhancement and Development Department. And um, I work alongside my colleagues in uh, running like a PG cert for our, for our academic staff, but on the side I do a bit of research as well, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. So it's really squeaky. Ah, thank you. Um, so, um, as well as my role at City, I also am one of the co-conveners for the Neuroresearchers Network, um, uh, which is part of SRHE, as today uh, is a joint event between the Postgraduate Issues Network and Neuroresearchers. So I'm here representing Neuroresearchers. So today's talk to you, I just want to give you an overview of what we're going to be looking at. Um, I want to sort of... Um, share experiences of completing the PhD, whether that's as a PhD student yourself or um, actually um, under, undergoing the process of, of, of uh, completing your PhD. Um, then I want to talk to you about my research question and how I, how I came about developing that and the background behind it too. Talk about the main findings, I'll have a discussion about that and then finally I want to kind of end with us developing an action plan because I'm all about, um, you know, I'm a bit of an active learner, I like to, to get things done and um, we'll, we'll have a look at that at the end. So, um, the year 2006 to 2007 was quite possibly the, uh, the most stressful year of my life. This was the year that I wrote my PhD thesis and at the time, um, the two kind of emotions that I, I felt very strongly were uncertainty and anxiety, <laughs> and um, it was it was quite quite stressful for me. And um, the way that I felt I coped was um, I became very very organised, and um, that's that's something that got me through the whole process. But um, I also became very bossy with not only my people around me but I was also bossing around my supervisors as well and I'm sure they didn't really appreciate the fact that I did that but uh, that's how I coped. Um, looking back on the process there were things I wish I'd done at the time and, and one of the things I wish I'd done more of was actually writing up my thesis as I went along because when I got to this particular year I realised that what stood between me and my viva was this 100,000 word book and it, it scared me and um, I wish I'd actually been writing that as I'd gone along. And uh, the other thing that I kind of realised was that um, I wasn't sure what was going to happen to me after I'd done my PhD. We've talked about that already today. I didn't know if there was life after the PhD. Um, I was hopeful that there was and I really hated being in this sort of you know, no man's land of not being able to see what was ahead of me. And, but I knew I just needed to finish and finish on time. So um, let's just kind of have a bit of a group discussion if we can. Um, I want you to um, talk to your next door neighbour. And um, I know we've already kind of shared why we're here today anyway. But um, 
just talk to them about maybe where you are with your PhD and thesis if you're a research student. If you're not, um, can you talk about you know how you go about supporting um, research students? And then I want you to share with your neighbour what um, actually makes you sort of what kind of encourages you to get things done. How do you get things done? This could be your uh, thesis or it could be anything else, but what kind of strategies do you take? So I'll give you about five minutes to do that and then we'll take a bit of feedback from the group. Okay? Yeah, if you want to talk to other people, that's... Okay. So, just hopefully you've um, had a good chat with your neighbour. Um, come on, let's throw out a few ideas about what works in terms of you getting things done. Yeah. Well, I was just saying to my colleague here, I'm an early riser. Oh, okay. So I, I get up three o'clock. Wow. wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to because I have a family. Yeah. And they can be very noisy. Yeah. And I need to work in quietness. So mm -hmm. that's a sacrifice I have to make. Mm -hmm. You know, I get up at three o'clock and I work. If I'm not going into work, I can work for about seven hours. So by at eleven o'clock, I've done Excellent. my days. Okay. Yeah. So you have a good self-awareness. The best yeah. work, best time of the day. Work. I can't yeah. work into the night. Can't. No. After seven o'clock, everything is fun for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do anything serious, but certainly I can be up at three o'clock and I'm single-minded, focused, and Great. I'm good to go. Excellent. Just be ready for an afternoon now. No. <laughs> 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 no, no, this is fun, isn't it? So it's fun. Um, anyone else? Yeah. I'm complete opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, 
some of the things that we've talked about there are certainly some of the things that came out of my research. We'll be looking at that a bit later on. Um, but it's just interesting to see different strategies. And obviously, I know, you know, I personally work very well in the morning as well. So, um, so just to kind of tell you about my research question, it started off very broad. I wanted to know specifically from the students' perspective what the impact factors were that affect the rate of progression and completion of their PhD studies. So that's kind of where I started off a couple of years ago. And um, to begin with, I had a look at the, uh, the literature to see what it said about, um, particularly about the student experience of completing their PhD. Um, and I found some relevant literature, some of it Shane has kind of talked about, there's probably some overlaps here. Um, but what I found is that most of the literature kind of focused on the sort of peripheral student characteristics, so, so things like age, gender, field of study and so on, and linked those, tried to find the you know, direct link to the completion rate. So, for example, Seagram in 1998 said that full-timers more likely to complete. But then it, right in Cochrane in 2000 said, well, actually, no, part-timers are more likely to complete if we look at sort of a, the equivalent uh, uh, study over a four-year period. So I found the literature a little bit confusing in that it was quite contradictory, but I think that reflects the fact that, you know, a lot of these studies are kind of uh, done quite locally, they're specific to different institutions and so on. But nonetheless, in 2001, um, Latona and Brown produced a very useful framework defining three categories of impact factors having a, an effect on completion rates. And they are, the first one is about the institution or the environment in which the student works. Uh, the, the second one is about the individual supervisory arrangements, uh, you know, relationship with the supervisor and so on. And the third one is all about um, student cohorts and their characteristics. So I found that framework quite useful, actually. Similar to the Do triangle. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's the same sort of categorisation. Yeah. Um, but I kind of wanted to find out, really, I wanted to sort of go away from the quantitative stuff and look more at qualitative um, research done in this area. And... Um, Catherine Manatunga, who's um, somebody quite active in SRHE, um, she in Australia, in the University of Queensland in Australia, um, she went and spoke to PhD students who were in various different stages of their PhD. Uh, she did focus groups with them and she talked to them, she said to them, you know, what kind of difficulties um, are you having that you might not feel comfortable about discussing with your supervisor? Um, and um, what she did is she kind of documented those difficulties and then she took them to experienced PhD supervisors who then were able to sort of give her ideas for how, you know, they might solve those difficulties if their students presented with them. And um, the whole idea is that she wanted to try and develop um, a sort of... Um, comprehensive solution to detect the early warning signs of possible non-completion. So I found her study really interesting. Um, 
And for my own study, I thought, right, well, what I'd like to do is, is start talking to students as well, but not just look at the, neg the, th the things that, you know, the difficulties or the negative impact fa factors on completion, but I wanted to look at things that actually worked, hence the title of my talk today, What Works for Completing Your Thesis. And I specifically spoke to students who were kind of not in the first or second year of their PhD, but were really in the thick of writing up. So full-timers and part-timers as well. First of all, I, I actually had a chat with, with our uh, senior tutors for research. Uh, the senior tutors for research at City University, these are basically people that, that oversee all the PhD supervision in their particular department. And um, I basically said to them, you know, what are the completion rates in your school or department like? And the majority of, I mean, I only spoke to five, but four out of five said, well, actually, the completion rates in our school aren't very good. And I said, well, why is that? And they said, well, actually, you know, um, the, it's the writing up stage. That's where a lot of our PhD students fall down. That's a major stumbling block for them. Um, and what they really need is uh, they need time to write up properly and they need financial support as well. Mm -hmm. And I thought that the, the first point about time, I thought, yeah, I, I agree with that. The second point about financial support, I thought, I'm not quite sure about that idea. I mean, I don't know what you think about that, but that's something I started to wonder about in, in some detail. Um, so, Um, from March to May 2011, I carried out interviews with about eight PhD students, full-timers and part-timers, um, and here are all of their names, and obviously they're all pseudonyms to protect their identity. And I basically, obviously all these students, as I say, they were kind of in the thick of writing up, or they had just finished writing their thesis. So, sorry, this is a really horribly detailed table, but basically what it says is that most of the students were full-timers. There, there were um, about four part-timers. They started full-time and then kind of went to part-time, some of them. Um, now, they were on track to complete on time, according to um, the uh, sort of regulations of the uni and... We're not quite sure where the four-year and seven-year rule comes from, but um, funding councils, I, I think. Anyway, um, and they had a kind of variable writing up time. So some of them took as long as uh, took as short as seven months to, to write up their thesis, whereas others took as long as five years, which was a very long time. Most of them were self-funded throughout their whole uh, PhD study. And um, some, mo sorry, most of them were in some kind of um, employment during the writing up stage. So that could be full-time or part-time employment. So there's a, a really kind of varied picture in terms of the quantitative characteristics of the students that I spoke to. And I really wanted to find out well, what are the kind of common themes in terms of their experiences of writing up and what works for them. 
And the first kind of theme that I like, kind of really came up was that they were writing up during their PhD study. So this idea of continuous writing, and this, as I say, was a key theme. Now, what struck me about this was that most doctoral programmes, okay, you know, the, the output is the thesis itself. That's what is assessed. I know the viva is assessed as well, but that's the, the kind of first point into the assessment process for the, for the doctorate. And obviously, if you don't if you don't have a written thesis, then that's obviously going to stall completion. And what I found was interesting that you know you're kind of um, writing up continuously directly contradicts this model that we have is if you if you're a full time PhD student, you have three years to undertake your research and then one year to write up. And, and again, I mean, um, Pam was saying that's kind of like an arbitrary uh, arrangement, if you like. It, so this idea of writing up continuously doesn't quite fit with that if you're, if you're given a whole year or for part-timers a couple of years to, to undertake the writing up. But anyway, so, so writing up, some of the students I spoke to were actually motivated to write up um, as they went along as parts of their thesis were assessed along the way, so they had to write up as they went along. Um, some of them talked about the fact that they were encouraged to write up uh, from the first year of their study by the head of department, and this included like keeping an ongoing research journal as well. That's still considered writing up, if you like. In fact, that's what I did when I did my PhD, is I wrote up a diary. I didn't really sort of see it as like, you know, writing chapters or anything, but actually keeping a diary that helped me to understand why I took a decision when I did, and the, the you know the rationale behind that decision was such a, a good thing to be able to refer to once I was in a viva. I remember being asked a really specific question in my viva, and I thought, oh, I can't remember what I decided to do, you know, that particular method, and. Um, I did have my diaries with me, and I was able to say, oh, okay, and I had a quick look, and sure enough, I was able to say, oh, that's why I did it, because the machine on that day wasn't working, or, you know, all of our cell lines had died. I did my PhD in molecular biology, by the way. So it, it, was, um, it was very useful just to have that written documentation to hand. Um, and then other students were sort of talking about that they didn't actually see the research and writing as separate activities. Some of them actually integrated the two, one informed the other, which I thought was interesting. Um, and say this is similar, so writing all the way through at the same time as collecting data and it being a continual process. And Natasha was um, was really into you know, she had a great experience. She was she was really on track to completing on time. She said, at the time, the head of department gave a few talks to us, and I remember he said, make sure you write your literature review early on, when you read, because that is going to be helpful. And also make sure you write as you go along, and write it with methodologies, because you're going to forget. By the time you finish it, you're going to forget. I really appreciated this advice right back then. It made such a huge difference at the end, because I had quite a bit of work done maybe a third of my thesis more or less done which is fantastic when you get to that final bit and you're thinking 
you know, it's not such a, a huge task to undertake. And the, the literature does have, um, does sort of say various things about this idea of continuous writing. Um, Wellington uh, has got a great paper out where he kind of says that um, writing, writing up should, as a notion, uh, should be, as, as a kind of detached phase of doctoral study, should be rejected. Uh, writing should be viewed as a way of actually developing knowledge rather than just telling it. And um, I don't know if anyone's read uh, Rowena Murray's book on how to write a thesis, but the central message to her book is continuous writing, you know. And uh, she, she calls it um, serial writing, which is where you write your thesis in instalments. Um, so, um, and the idea that you write to a pattern that suits um, your working and your social environment with the latter actually sustaining the writing process rather than um, sort of obstructing it. And Murray also says, in the same way as Wellington, that serial writing is, is critical for the development of our thinking. So it's not just writing, but it's actually writing to develop knowledge. But at this point, I just want to stop and say, you know, is this a realistic goal? Continuous writing. I didn't really do it. I kept a diary, but and at the time I do remember somebody in my lab saying, you know, you should be writing a thesis as it's going along, and I was like, oh, well, not really. You know, you might say, well, I haven't been writing up from the start. I've left it too late. My thesis is due in the next few months. I haven't got anything written. Now what do I do? Or you might say, well, actually. I don't have time to write and research, not to mention do all the other things in my life, look after my family, and so on. Um, some people might say, well, actually, no, it's better to free, for me to get all my data done now. Um, writing's not a priority. I can't start writing until I know the whole story. Are there any other uh, additions to that? Uh, yeah. But it surely depends on the, on the discipline. Yeah. The subject is English literature, and you, you, you write, my students all write from about the second semester onwards, continuously doing yeah. submitting chapters. And we also have annual progress monitoring, which is based on the submission of written work. So we couldn't do it without written work. Great. But I think scientists work to a very different level. You do. I'd agree with that view. I think your perception and assumptions based on the area you're from, um, if you look at the social sciences, Yeah. And it wasn't the writing that I hated, um, it, it was the subject matter. It was having to get involved in the subject matter, there's been an inadequacy in the research that had gone on. Yeah. And I don't think for me writing as I go along would have been a big bonus because I'd have had writing finished 
I think it would have been a big bonus because I would have had better thoughts. Yeah. Slightly disagree with that, and I'm, I'm a biologist myself. I supervise about 40 PhD students. My message to my students has always been right from the beginning, and I, I agree to a certain extent in science and in laboratory collecting data is important. But when you write, it does provoke thinking as well. Mm. I mean, students always tell me when they start to write, immediately realize that there are. Uh, uh, data gaps and that prompt them to think if I get this sort of uh, data in I would yeah. be able to draw a slightly different conclusion mm. and normally that's more sort of uh, innovative and uh, take the uh, research to a different stage so I, I would personally not want to generalize to say in social science you, you should write continuously in science it may not be uh, applicable from my own and my students experience yeah. that has benefited hugely yeah. Yes. I think writing up as you go along has two specific advantages. One mm. is you've got some text down. Yeah. Once you've done that, you can revise it and you can polish it. Mm. And it avoids, and this is the other side of it, it avoids getting to the end and thinking, oh hell, how much have I got to write? Yeah. And how long have I got in which to write it? Mm. Mm. And that's a challenge. Yeah. And that is why I, I certainly would encourage all my, and I have, encourage all my people to work from the beginning. Yeah. It doesn't matter how good it is or how bad. It is yeah. getting, and this is what Rowena writes about, yeah, getting it written first. Yeah. You can always revise that. Yeah. But we all work differently. So if someone wants to do it at the end, uh, I would counsel them against it, but I wouldn't stop them doing it. No, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah just... I, I, I'm, no, I'm just... Um, earlier on in, in my career than, than you are, but I just sort of reiterate what you're saying in a more raw way that it was put to me by someone who was mentoring me, and he, said, <coughs> he, he encouraged me to write, and I said, yeah, but you know, I'm writing it out, and it's, it's all crap, and he said, you've got to let all the crap out, <laughs> and then and write it and see what rubbish it is, and then you'll, then you'll change it, and that's part of probably ordering your thoughts and giving yeah. some structure to it, mm. but you've probably got... I really think you've got to throw down the mess and yeah. see what's good in it and reject what isn't. Mm -hmm. And I think it's probably true that it's different to uh, everybody, but for someone like me, it would be very risky to leave it that until one major write-up at the end. Yeah. I was always told I'd end up rewriting writing everything, and that's what happened. Mm -hmm. And I think it was useful for me to feel like I was progressing in some way, even though I wasn't progressing as much as I could because I thought I might get away with writing it right, I didn't. Um, but also, I mean, how can you expect to get feedback from your supervisor if you're not throwing some chunks out? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm glad I've convinced you all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the other point I just had as well is that sitting um, in some disciplines where there is a tendency to use the writing up to the end, um, the, the impact is that students generally at that time also find employment so they're prolonging the time that they're spending writing up yeah because they've, they've secured uh, mm -hmm. a, a post mm -hmm. yeah um, that might be subject to then completing their phd but it you know it then kind of adds just to completion hands. you know the yeah kind of, like, the time it takes to complete yeah thanks and um, i put this slide in it's 
horribly long, complicated. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna really talk about it. But um, I didn't know how you were gonna react or if you were because I didn't know, you know, whether I was gonna be faced with some research students going, Well, I have left it all to the end and I was gonna say, But don't worry because Rowena Murray's can't be some great top ten fast track your thesis writing. So I won't read all this out to you, but I would encourage you to look at her book and particularly go to the chapter on, um, you know, I've left it all to the end, what do I do now? It's, it's really good. Um, so the other things that um, the students that spoke to me talked about was obviously um, factors to do with themselves personally. So being self-determined and motivated, highly organised, um, working to self-impose deadlines which led to some kind of reward or break or the use of deadlines that outside circumstances dictate, so like going on a family holiday in August, well I need to have chapters four and five done by then, that kind of thing. Um, Self-discipline, so like forcing yourself to go to the library. It's kind of like when you go on a on an exercise regime or a diet and you kind of have to be really self-disciplined and and actually one of the things that I used to do was um, I'd keep a note of how many words I'd written that day to keep me motivated but I've written a thousand words today or I only wrote like 500 yesterday and you know that kind of thing and um, breaking up the task into manageable chunks and you know, that can be quite hard to do, because what is a manageable chunk? Well, you know, it's up to you to try and sort of figure that out. Um, some students were talking about responding to something, like a trauma that was going on in, in their life, like a, a breakup or something like that, and they actually saw writing up as being a bit of a distraction to that. And we've talked about this already, but having a really good awareness of knowing, you know, when you're in the writing up zone, you know, what if that's a time of the day, um, if it's, uh, you know, a, a day of the week, and conversely, knowing when it actually it's not not the right time to be writing at all. Um, and then other people talked about the fact they were they were already quite confident in their writing abilities. Um, they'd done particularly well at degree level, so that kind of that was a real confidence boost. And um, so just some quotes from the students. Um, I won't read them out to you because I don't really have a lot of time. But Jennifer was sort of saying, you know, she had this wall planner in her bedroom. She planned out everything for the whole year in terms of what she wanted to write and when. And then um, she would go to her supervisor and tell, and she was a bit like me. She was quite bossy and said, like, I'm going to have this done then. You'll give me feedback then. Then I'm going to work on the feedback. And, you know, it was, everything was planned out for her. So I don't know if this is going to play or not, and I can't see if I'm well, but this is quite a funny uh, video about the uh, problem with distractions, and I'm going to show you a video. This man took some very extreme measures of um, trying to finish his PhD when he was addicted to the internet and Facebook. I don't know. I hope it works. Maybe I'll play it at the end if it, if it doesn't. I think I've broken the computer.
give you a, a sense of how I did it because it might be helpful for some of you. I have a very short attention span. I also am completely addicted to the internet and um, I discovered Facebook just at the time I was supposed to start my write-up. And by the time I got a few months into my write-up, I found 800 people who I had met for this once in my So I have, I have these terrible, terrible personal qualities that make me a terrible connection. So what I did was um, I asked my brother. I just paused it into the stops. <laughs> Hold on, let me just go back a bit. Asked my brother to drop me at a highway motel near my hometown in rural country Queensland. Uh, and I gave him my phone and I made a deal with the hotel owners to deliver three meals a day to my room. And I just stayed in this motel room on a highway in the middle of nowhere with no hotel, no, no uh, anything. It was no phone, no internet, no contact with the outside world. And I would go into six-day shifts and then I'd come into town do one day a crazy email for four hours to catch up and then go back out for six days. And I would do this for weeks on end and uh, it was incredibly effective. And uh, without a strategy like that, I don't know how I could have ever finished my thesis. And that's quite an extreme, extreme um, solution. But I think other people have lesser demons and probably have you know, less intense jobs during the thesis time, but I do recommend uh, putting yourself out of the internet's way if at all possible. And you can't even be within walking distance because. <laughs> yeah, well, some people have that discipline. I even had this little Nokia phone, which I thought, oh, this is like an old Nokia. But I discovered how to get whacked where I So I even had to give that to my mother and lock Right, glad that played. So um, obviously, you know, he had to take extreme measures to get his, his thesis done. Hopefully, you won't have to do the same, but it, again, it's about having that awareness. Uh, the next sort of big uh, factor that sort of um, was a, a key theme amongst the students was uh, uh, su supervisor support. This the supervisor student relationship really is, uh, you know, it can't be underestimated in in terms of um, getting the thesis written. So uh, students were talking about supervisors who were very proactive in actually making contact with their student and sustaining that contact as well. Um, a supervisor demonstrating that he or she understood how their student worked. Um, some supervisors who encouraged or you know, were ruthless in actually chasing um, student for evidence of written work. So um, one guy 
he was the guy that took five years to write up his thesis. He'd gone and got himself a job at an investment bank and um, he he got a phone call from his, his supervisor while like he was on the trading floor saying, where's, and he was like, how did you get my number? And he said, um, actually, you're supposed to have, you know, chapter three handed in by today. Where is it? Uh, supervisors that give positive, frequent, timely, targeted feedback. Some people talked about supervisors giving very superficial feedback, which wasn't very helpful. Um, supervisors who are contactable, a little bit tech savvy, some of them were able to use Skype because obviously when you're kind of in your writing up year, you know, you might not be based um, close by to the university where your supervisors are, so having the ability to use Skype was very, very uh, useful and offering this um, online continuity of supervision. Supervisors believing in what their students had done and the research they'd done and the, the, their own students' ability, that was really important. Um, I speak from experience, I didn't really have that, so that added to my anxiety and uncertainty and I didn't, I was always kind of saying, is this alright? And feeling a bit awkward by saying that. But what I really wanted my, was my supervisor to say, it's good, it's an original contribution, don't worry. So some supervisors say that and actually that's all we need to hear. And <clears throat> supervisors who are approachable, because sometimes, you know, they're quite, um, sorry, I know there's supervisors in the room, I'm, I'm one now as well, but, you know, they can be a little bit intimidating, especially when, you know, you've not gone through this process before. A calm supervisor, somebody who's reassuring and encouraging as well, encourages the student to keep going. Um, Supervisors um, who have a good awareness of the research. There's nothing worse. I mean, I know that by the end of it, research students are supposed to know more than the supervisor in terms of their project. But there's nothing worse than you feeling like you're explaining several times and, you know, supervisors not really listening. Um, and also supervisors that understand how far away the student is to completing, you know. Um, that's something that I was keen, keen to know as well, and I kept asking my supervisor for it, and he never quite was able to tell me. And I kind of said this already, but supervisors who give sort of feedback that's balanced between supportive and, and critical. I picked up on a point that Pam made about, um, you know, the examiner's worst nightmare is a supervisor that can't quite tell you that you know maybe you shouldn't be doing this anymore um, because they're too sort of supportive a bit too friendly so um, sometimes it's nice to know actually you know where you where you actually are and the feedback needs to be balanced in that respect um, and 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 as they just some quotes here from the students reiterating uh, points on that slide and um, I'm kind of running out of time, but other, other sort of positive factors that students spoke about were having support and encouragement from friends and family, you know, sometimes, you know, students are the first in their family to be undertaking a PhD, so quite often your friends and 
particular family don't know what it's like for you so it can be useful to actually say this is what's going on with me it's really scary I'm quite isolated I just need you to understand that I might be a bit crazy or a bit tetchy you know this is a key point in my uh, research uh, having support and encouragement from peers that was also spoken about as well lots of the students talked about using online um, chats and with PhD students from around the world actually and uh, that, that they found that very useful to keep them going. Um, half of the students talked about having financial support during the write-up and as I said some of them did have some kind of uh, in, uh, form of employment. Part-time jobs are okay but full-time jobs are found weren't really a good idea although sometimes that can't really be avoided. Um, the people that have part-time jobs actually really liked that because they found that having a, a part-time job go to go to sort of structured the whole writing process for them so they'd know that on mon they had like Monday's afternoons free so they, they would do the writing up then whatever happened with their job for the rest of the week. Um, somebody talked about it being a part-time job being an anchor to the real world because you're often sort of like so isolated when you're writing up. Um, having a good working environment in which to write up in, that was important as well. So it could be the library, it could be the study bedroom, whatever. Um, only a couple of people talked about the actual prestige of, of getting their doctorate and that sort of spurring them on. Uh, and then I say a couple of people talked about the fact that present, uh, presenting their work at uh, conferences, research symposia at, at the university was also uh, an important thing to do too. And others talked about the use of self-help books like uh, Rowena Murray's How to Write a Thesis. The not so helpful thing that kind of I felt sort of was overarching the whole writing up process was this mystery of the PhD thesis and the mystery in terms of the uncertainty of what academic work sh uh, should look like or what a thesis should look like and obviously that's that's very hard because it's such an individual piece you know you don't really know what the goalposts are that's where your supervisor comes in actually and they can help you understand those things but there's um, you know, overall sort of uncertainty about, you know, how should it sound, what should it look like, you know. I used to get theses from the library and have a look at them and actually it didn't really help me because it would scare me even more into thinking this is really good, I'll <laughs> never be able to produce this. Um, you know, some of the students said I've just had no support whatsoever, not from their supervisor, not from their um, department, which is unfortunate. Um, they were talking about that they just couldn't express themselves properly through their writing. And again, I think had they have written up as they went along, or at least you know had a go at writing, they might have been able to circumvent that problem. Being overwhelmed, <laughs> unfamiliarity of academic culture, academic speak. Um, whole the whole thing really and um, 
and it's quite interesting what Evan says here. He says, it was all these little things, such as writing in the third person, that no one knew the answer to. And when you went to say to your supervisor, she said, well, if you want to, you can. And it was a case of, well, I may want to, but is it correct? Every time you finished something, you were asking yourself, is this correct? My supervisor was quite good. You know, she said, that sounds fine. I don't see anything wrong with that. But then it wasn't your supervisor who was going to look at it. So that kind of all fed into this mystery. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish it there.